0: Just a quick heads up, The Holy Hive Show does contain adult language that may not be suitable for sensitive listeners and children. All right, Dan, two weeks into, or no, one week into our, our new mask mandate and uh, the second show that we're doing remotely. How are you feeling about it?
1: I'm feeling good about the show, bad about the mandate.
0: Not going so well. Numbers still climbing.
1: Numbers are still climbing pretty high, but, you know, the show, we roll on.
0: You know what I realized? I realized uh, masks, this is the biggest inconvenience I found with masks. This whole year we've been talking about uh, masks, you know, are suffocating me. Masks are an inconvenience. Masks are an authoritarian regime. Uh, I don't. Whenever I'm wearing a beanie, it's winter, so we didn't experience this early in the year. But I'm been wearing a lot of beanies lately. Yeah. Whenever I put the mask around my ears, when I'm wearing a beanie, you have to retuck your ears back into the beanie. And I'm not. I don't know. You wear your beanie above your ears, don't you? Sometimes when my ears get
1: hot. <laughs> not to get too personal.
0: <laughs> I I so I I like uh, I'll show up to a coffee shop drive through with like my ears hanging out of my beanie and then i'll look in the mirror and i'm like that looks really goofy but it's because i keep forgetting to to tuck them back into my my so like that that's the that's the biggest inconvenience i've found with masks so far this year you know oh
1: you you Um, poor privileged child you put get get yourself some glasses man you want to find some problems if you don't tuck the things over the the glasses it makes it so the glasses <laughs> just fall off your face. And so it's a good point. there's a yeah. whole lot of upkeep when you've got glasses, including yeah. the fogging, the obvious fogging. So
0: I thought I was on a roll too this year with like not looking stupid between like, you know, wearing masks in public. So I don't have to worry about like having a, a vegetable in my teeth or yeah. like having a bug, you know, and now I've got this weird ear thing where I just like put a mask on. And my ears are sticking out like elves outside of my beanie. But I guess that's the worst that you could say about him. It's really not that bad.
1: I speaking of elves and, and looking like a fool, I bought a new snowman mask. So it's just got like a carrot on the front and some, some pebble smiles. And it is, it is (laughs) quite the sight.
0: Already feeling festive. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, today on the uh, Holy Hive show, we watched the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City and boy, was it an experience. It was. Um, Yeah. So we're going to break down our, 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 uh, our reactions to that, uh, beforehand, we're going to get into a little news and, uh, but right now we're talk about what's going on in COVID land with this week's COVID corner. So we talked about just a second ago, how the numbers are still kind of increasing what's going on overall in this past week, Dan, with, with COVID
1: a whole lot is going on. Um, as of today, we are currently, we have an estimated 51,000 active cases, um, which is pretty troubling because that means that roughly one in every sixty Utahns currently has the coronavirus. Um, yeah, that is just a flabbergasting number. Uh, when I saw, I think one I, think in I 60.
0: Saw, right literally like right before we started the show, I was on the I was wrapping up my 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 notes and I found I think it was on Twitter or something that said that South Dakota is now to the point where they are one in every thousand people have died from COVID in their state. Yeah, that's pretty nice. No, I haven't, I, I haven't, I haven't like fact checked that or anything. I'd like to, I'd be interested to look into that, but we're starting to get to these weird mild, milestones now.
1: I do believe that was North Dakota, but either way, no, North Dakota. Okay. Either yeah. way. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to put it in perspective, 51,000 active cases, we've had 159,000 cases total in Utah. So 32% mm-hmm. of the cases we've had since March have happened in the past two weeks alone. So really? Yeah. I mean, so that's not what you, it's not at all what you want as the kids would say
0: no. <laughs> in a pandemic. No, <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, just this no. past. So yes, just this past Monday, uh, November 16th, uh, that was the first day since November 1st that we didn't set a record for that day of the week. I don't know if that makes sense. It's hard to word. So basically yeah. that Monday we didn't beat the previous Monday's record. But every other day, we have done that this month. Um, unfortunately, that didn't last long. There was a smidge of hope in me when I saw that we had we had not surpassed our record for a Monday on uh, this past Monday. Um, uh-huh. But then on Tuesday, November seventeenth, we went ahead and passed our previous Tuesday record by six hundred. Yeah. So that that hope yeah. did not last long. Um, yeah. To put it in the bleakest of terms, it's currently estimated that a Utahn will die of COVID-19 related death every two and a half hours over the next four weeks. So mm-hmm. it's not good.
0: Yeah. And uh, today on, uh, at, on Salt Lake Tribune's website, uh, one of their uh, reporters, Aaron Alberti, she had a conversation with an a infectious disease physician from uh, Intermountain Healthcare. His name was Dr. Eddie Steneham. I'm probably butchering that name, Dr. Eddie Stenaham. But they were talking about, they just hopped on a, on a Zoom call and talked for about a half hour about mask mandates and Thanksgiving gatherings and um, different things going on in, in hospitals and kind of misconceptions about what doctors are doing right now. And so I thought there were some really interesting talking points from their conversation. So, like, they were talking about, uh, and I, I really, I love Erin Alberti's reporting style. Like, she's kind of driven by transparency and Um, she's always trying to like that. I mean, to me, that's like real truth. It's not like, Hey, what are you saying? It's like, no, what is the truth? I want to know. You're probably saying this as part of a marketing thing. So like she, she was like really like laying into him, like about the hospital numbers. Like we hear all these things about hospital numbers growing, but what are the hospitals doing to communicate that? Because people need to hear it from you guys about you know how, how bad the hospitals are right now. But he brought up some interesting points about uh, what hospitals are doing. So he, he talked a lot about how the ICU capacity is different than the total capacity of the hospital because the, the ICU is just one section. Um, so some people report on the ICU numbers being at capacity and some people report about like the hospital being at capacity. But either way, an ICU being at capacity is still a huge problem because you're having a bit, you, you get a big strain on not only just that department, but like the specialists that deal with those types of things. Yeah. So with like a brain specialist these days, they're probably, it's pretty quiet, you know, in, in the uh, neurosurgery department, not a lot and of brains that are,
1: being used right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not a lot of brains being used right now. It's ex- exactly. Um, but, uh, And things dealing with more like respiratory problems, like that staff is getting overloaded. And not only that, but he talked about how because they have to create ICUs in places that don't have ICUs to keep up with the demand, they have to move around a lot of teams. And when you take a doctor who's used to working with a certain group of people in a certain environment and move them over, it makes them less efficient. So tying up things like that, like people don't report on that stuff. People don't see those problems happening. And he also mentioned that, um, you know, if you have um, 100 beds in the ICU, or if you have 100 beds, and 20 of them uh, are taken up by COVID patients. So like 20% of the total capacity being taken up by one thing. He says that's completely unheard of in like the medical field. Like, it's a phenomenon is the way he described it is like that one little thing could take up so much capacity at a hospital. He's like that's all, that's never happens. Um so he talked about that being something that people also don't um report on. And he also talked about the actual floors where they treat covid patients where like you have people in the ICU and those are people that are having kind of teetering on that life and death thing, you know. They're they they need immediate and intense care. Um but there's a lot of people who are being treated in hospitals that aren't in the ICU that are just kind of in their own separate hospital rooms. And he said, if you go to a a hospital or he was talking about the, the, the the hospital that he works at, if you go up to the COVID floor, it's like dead silent. It's completely quiet. No one's around because everything, no one's allowed up there. No, no friends, no family, no visitors. No one can go visit the people on the COVID floor and all the doors are closed and everyone's in quarantine and the people, the, the professionals walking around are, you know, they've got their N95 masks and face shields and they're all taped up with gloves and stuff. And he's like, it's kind of eerie. It's like really quiet. It's not like what you would think an overflowing hospital looks like. Um, and so I was, I was really happy to see that she was kind of connecting with doctors and trying to, to, to kind of, um, clear up some of those misconceptions of what a hospital being at capacity or what a hospital being, um, overstrained means. Um, And he also said, we just need to stop, even though he's, he feels very optimistic about how the vaccines are going. And we hear each week that they're getting a little bit better and a little bit better. He's like, vaccines are not going to save us from what's happening right now. Like we're still months out from getting that, but this surge right now, we can't like put our faith into a vaccine. And he kind of predicts like with Thanksgiving coming up, that there's going to be a jump in cases because you can't. It's, it's literally a, an environment where you're sitting at a table with a bunch of people with masks off eating. And he's like, that's the perfect place for things yep. to be spread. And he also said that the, the things that the governor is saying, the governor saying like, no, no gatherings over 10 people. He's like, those are just theoretical numbers. Those don't mean anything. Like if there's two people and one of them has COVID, you can spread it. It doesn't have anything to do with the size of the group. Um, so yeah, I, uh, it's, it's, it's made the holidays very complicated and I'm still trying to figure out what to do as far as how I'm going to approach the holidays with the family and stuff. Cause obviously I want to keep my family safe and not only that, but I just want to be able to not be part of the problem. Yeah. You know, and there's this kind of thing where it's like, I feel like I'm doing everything right. So I should be able to get away with this. Right. Like I'm keeping it under 10 people and that's just kind of not the way, that's not the way it works for sure. But, anyways, uh, we'll see what happens. the The mandate ends Sunday, I believe, right? I believe Sunday or Monday. To. I'm I'm not sure exactly when it
1: went into yeah, effect on a Monday, and it was a two week thing. So,
0: yeah, so maybe Monday. I think I think the date was the 23rd. I'm not sure what day that is, but um, I guess the idea was to hope, hopefully have the squashed by Thanksgiving. But but obviously that isn't happening. Oh yeah, and that's another thing he said too is like we people think that we do the mandate and the numbers go down, but he says to get data on, on those things and see actually the, like the trajectory of it, we need to, like a few weeks yeah. to see where the numbers are really at and stuff. So he's like, don't expect it to like just turn around immediately or just be done in two weeks. But, um, so, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. I kind of predict that maybe they're going to, I mean, hopefully strengthen the mandate a little bit more because I don't think it's working. <laughs> but, all right, let's move on to uh, some news. it kind of seems like all of the conversations that we've been having about, uh, you know, politics or the pandemic or anything, they kind of focus on the problem and the conspiracy of everything. And we don't really see a lot of, uh, a lot of conversation around solutions and like what we could be doing right to fix these types of things. But on a state level this week, Utah lawmakers are actually working to learn from this year and, uh, turn lessons into real, real world solutions. So we have actually two examples, uh, of of this going on right now, and uh, ironically, both of them are for from, from Riverton. I know. I these saw little that. Shout out governmental to Governmental changes. Yeah, Riverton's really doing doing the hard work. Shout out to their uh, their representatives. So the first one is a uh, is a teleworking bill that's that was brought to the floor by uh, a uh, se- state senator uh, Dan McKay of Riverton, um, and I think this is just a great example of forward thinking. So he's he's kind of looking at our quarantine as a test run for something that could be applicable. To, uh, to to us after COVID ends. And his bill aims to categorize all state government employees according to their ability to work remotely. So all state employees will now, ha- I don't know if it's like a classification or how exactly it'll work, but it'll essentially flag people that are able to work from home. And um, he gave some words uh, to Fox 13 stating that not all jobs are equal. Some departments some state departments have around 70 to 80% of pl- employees that can work remotely and don't need to be tied to an office. Um, but then some departments are like 20 to 30%. I think the example he gave in the article said that, um, you know, on, on, uh, cold air inversion days, we should probably stop driving, but snowplow drivers need to s- still, you know, go around. Like there's a lot of people that still need to work, but we could identify who those people are. And, and adjust our situation accordingly. So, and his motivation isn't actually driven by the pandemic or what could possibly um, happen with another pandemic or anything like that. He's kind of driven by the inversion. And he's like, you know, in the winters following the pandemic, the state government could potentially pivot all the qualified employees to work from home uh, to lighten the load on our air pollution. Obviously, this isn't a complete fix. Like, it's yeah. not going to solve all of our pollution problems. But I think this is a good example of small government... Being like, let's make this more efficient. We can do this, and it'll set an example. And I think he said in the article that he intends for this bill to be like kind of an inspiration for private businesses. Like you could do this in your company, and um, you know, make it make it so everyone doesn't have to be at work every day. And 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 when we do have those bad air days, which we can kind of predict, you know, they'll tell us a couple days ahead of time on the news that the air is going to be like this, and it's probably going to be bad these next couple of days. So we can kind of predict that stuff and make those pivots. And I think, uh, that was just a, a really good solution. Yeah, I thought, that was, I thought it was, I
1: thought it was really productive way to use, you know, like a lesson that you learned in one, one arena and you can easily apply yeah. that to another arena. Um, mm-hmm. like, I do think that's great that they took this kind of, oh, realization during COVID that, you know. We actually don't need to all be here. Cause I mean, up until mm-hmm. now, it seems like the big driving force behind getting, uh, changes in our air is like a sign that tells people to carpool as if that's not like a super awkward thing to do between coworkers. You know, I don't like yeah. know my coworkers mm-hmm. well enough to, to carpool with them in a lot of situations.
0: Exactly. Um, that's a, <laughs> who's so, ever, no one's ever in the history of yeah. anything ever been like, we're doing a carpool now. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, I will say like, it would be much better if it was just like those signs were just like bad air tomorrow, stay home and work guys. Like that'd be, that'd be pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you remember this year that the, the, the COVID, I feel like the COVID happened in eras. (laughs) There was like the tiger King era. Yeah. You you remember the toilet paper panic buy era? Yeah. I remember the toilet paper (laughs) panic buy era very well. Yeah. And, uh, I, in funny enough during that era, uh, do you remember when the Utah government also panicked by $800,000 in hydroxychloroquine?
1: It's exactly what you
0: want your government to do, isn't it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so this is another example of another state Senator also from Riverton, shout out to Riverton, uh, taking lessons from the pandemic and trying to turn them into kind of real, real solutions to kind of sharpen our government up. And so this state Senator, Uh, Brought forth a bill that will bring more transparency and accountability to purchases made during state of emergency uh, times. So, uh, what was happening was the government executives. Now, I'm not going to point blame at everyone. It seems like, you know, Governor Herbert catches the blame for everything. I'm not sure who signed off on these things, but um, these government executives in early pandemic were writing contracts for tons of taxpayer money for COVID resources without any kind of bidding process, um, usually meant to drive up competition between people in the market so they can get the best deal and allow the government to spend effectively. And in this case, contracts were made with drug and tech and medical supply companies, and they were not acquired through the usually usual bidding process. Um, and it allowed these companies to drive up the prices of the things that they were selling. So they were kind of price gouging the government. Um, and it was creating all these inefficiencies in spending. And once it came to light, You know, people were very critical about how the government was spending these funds. And the Salt Lake Tribune has done a really good job reporting on all these different stories throughout the year. So if you want to look into that deeper, uh, go to Salt Lake Tribune or sltrib.com. So this bill, which comes from Riverton Representative Candace uh, Pierucci, another name that I'm probably butchering, um, is aimed at more transparency and nimble solutions to state of emergency spending. The bill would require lawmakers to make records of any emergency spending public within two weeks complete with those involved in the contracts and the names of the government representatives who signed off on the spending. So the idea here is to hold people accountable. I mean, it's not saying, hey, you got to sign off on all this stuff before we can spend the money. It's just, yeah, no, keep doing your job, spend the money, but just know that everyone's going to know what you did in two weeks. And I think that that can only be...
1: Yeah. That can only be a good thing, you know, more accountability at the highest level of state government. Who would have, who would have thought that'd be a good idea? (laughs) Like,
0: (laughs) yeah. And yeah. And again, I don't think these are solutions that you're really going to find on the national level because well, one politics on the national level is such a pageant and, and, you know, it has honestly more to do with, um, with the real housewives of salt lake city than community solutions you know it's like a reality tv show that we're watching and so when we see these little adjustments being made on the state level i i I see it as a huge positive and again it allows us to lead by example Um, and we just kind of are in a time where everyone's like this is what's happening no this is what's happening This, you know, they're, they're trying to control us or they're not doing enough. And it's like, okay, we need to focus on solutions. And honestly, it's not our job to really do that. We just get to sit on a podcast and bullshit about it. Yeah. So it's nice to see that there are Utah representatives at work doing stuff that uh, actually matters.
1: I would agree with you completely.
0: You'd love to see it. Okay. So UTA is on a vision quest. They haven't announced any specific solutions, uh, but, they, but the Utah Transit Authority is looking at a five-year plan to create a more dependable and convenient bus and rail system. This plan includes increasing the services of their core network of bus routes uh, so that riders won't even have to look at a bus schedule. Instead, they should be able to catch a ride about every 15 minutes from early morning to late at night, seven days per week. Um, their plan also includes expansions of the frontrunner and uh, connection routes to the front runner rail and its connection routes and access to the new Salt Lake City airport, as well as an expansion of their, uh, transit services. I didn't. So we've talked about this before on this podcast. We very much did. Yeah. And I feel like an idiot because I didn't do any research into like what UTA was doing at the time, but I've literally said like, what if we had Utah Uber and UTA ran it, they've been doing this and it's been, the better part of a year since they kind of launched this program and it has been experimental like it hasn't been a full rollout yet but in the southern parts of salt lake valley around the kind of draper sandy riverton area again riverton (laughs) just involved in in innovation here in in the valley but um yeah they've been doing these like uber-esque van rides where you can use a uta app get a call they come in one of their little uta vans And they pick, they pick you up. And so far, like the people, the local journalists that have written about it said it actually works pretty well. And so an expansion of that could be pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. I think that that's like always going to be the best is when you can really customize and get catered to, in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. like the reason for Lyft and Uber being so much more successful than these public transit is because it's on my time, it's not on your time. And it's yeah. on, it's, it's at my stop. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. That on, sort on of demand. service, exactly. That sort of service is always probably going to be better, expe- especially, especially yeah. like in terms of bang for your buck. Like it costs mm-hmm. me the same amount of money to take an Uber and get picked up and dropped off than as it does, you know, pay the whatever front runner fee. Well, that's definitely not true because for the sure. front runner is taking me much further, but you get the gist. And, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I do feel pretty bad for UTA this year. I know that they had some pretty big plans in terms of trying to innovate and, and work with lower income individuals and, try and trying mm-hmm. to like increase their ridership. And it's just plummeted because of the pandemic.
0: Yeah. And uh, that's so I brought, I thought it brought up this interesting question. If they were able to kind of fulfill this vision and they really, really fine tuned their transit system, would you ever consider ditching your car and becoming a, 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 a uh, a public transit guy?
1: I don't think I would personally.
0: Yeah, no.
1: <laughs> I I don't. There Yeah, I don't know if I'm just too privileged or what, but like I just like driving somewhere. You know what I mean? I like mm-hmm. I like first I like the act of driving. I'm very much into just driving. I find Me too. it I find it incredibly like meditative. Um, but also just like the ease of which I can do things like, Oh, I want to go to this restaurant. Oh, I want to go to this. I want to go pick up groceries. Like I feel so bad whenever I pull up to Smith's and I see someone waiting outside for a taxi to like put all their groceries into. That's yeah. That's hard. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think it, it, it affords you a specific amount of freedom and I, so we actually lived together when I didn't have a car for like two years. Yeah. You remember that? Mm -hmm. And I used to take the bus to work and I used to ride a lot of public transit. And I remember thinking like, you know, this isn't that bad. Like it's really not that hard. I, 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 there's, I, there was things in my routine that I would do on the bus or whatever. I would do work, do some reading or whatever. Um, and, but I, I, I do remember being like, oh, it's a pain if I want to go get takeout from this spot or. You know, I got to figure out how to get there. And, and and I do think that there is like an amount of freedom that comes with having a car. And I don't know if I would ever ditch a car again in, in favor of public transit, but I would definitely would be open to the idea of maybe the regular routine commutes that I make every single day. Yeah. Finding out a way to do that. But having said that, I think that um, I, th- I think there's still a couple problems that UTA needs to figure out. One. I think we need to... Well, I guess this isn't UTA's problem exactly. I think it's more of the city's problem. But we need to beef up roads so there's a little more room for buses. Like, when I was taking the bus primarily, we were living just off of Highland in, like, the Sugarhouse Mill Creek area. And Highland Drive for a bus is a pain in the ass. Oh, for sure. Because it's two lanes. And if they go off to the side, it blocks off a lane of traffic for... A solid ninety seconds while they load people onto the bus and everything like that. It's like, yeah,
1: there is no worse hell than driving behind a bus during rush hour on like Ninth East, just like a very tiny, a very tiny street, dude.
0: Really quick, this is yeah. Sorry, really quick before
1: I move on. If anyone can hear my neighbor singing opera, I apologize.
0: (laughs) You have a neighbor singing
1: opera? I believe so.
0: I can't hear it, so. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I can't hear it on the
1: mic either. So that's good. Just so long as I can only hear it (laughs) through my ears.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, I was, I was just about to say very, this is hyper specific, but people that know it will know that intersection on 13th East going across 21st South where, you know, there's like a KFC and W on the corner and sugar Mm -hmm. house park is right there. Like that in the morning is like serious hell. And as soon as you cross it, you have to like merge and it's, it's just a mess. So we have to figure that out. And then I think the other thing is, is that we have to, we just have to make public transit more cost effective for its citizens. And I don't know what that looks like, whether it's lowering fare or some kind of tax incentive for people that have, that do take the bus or do take public transit. But I think lowering the prices will go a long way with getting more people to put faith in public transit. Um, And then just, yeah, I mean, I think this innovation, this thing like, they have their eyes set on new ideas. I think that's a, that's a good first step. They need to keep innovating they just need to make it fun and convenient and then people will do it. I think I would, I would much rather take a a little UTA van full of my friends home from the bar than trying to stuff into like an Uber or something like that. Like, Oh, I I, totally agree. You know? Yeah.
1: yeah. I think that what they got to do is just implement more neon signs. If we have seen anything, It is that the more neon signs you use, the more people will flock to them. So
0: Yeah. (laughs) Start putting neon signs on the sides of vans. That's right. And buses. Salt Lake City loves a neon sign. All right. So this next story, it's a really amazing story that came out of uh, Murray this week. Uh, A local Mexican diner called Restaurant Morelia has been suffering during the pandemic due to their small dining room and inability to seat dine in customers, which by the way, we thank you guys for not trying to hammer people in there and, you know, trying to, you know, like they're, 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 they're trying to keep people safe, but they've been suffering because of it. And the owners were worried about their ability to make it through the next few months of the pandemic. So they kind of put out like a social media plea to the community saying, Hey, we're having a hard time. Uh, We could really use the business right now. And like Utah showed the fuck up. They answered the call. Apparently, according to the uh, article that we got from Fox 13, um, they ended up having so much curbside business that they ran out of food. Which you is love it. what you want to see. You absolutely and, uh, love it. Yeah. yeah. It's a great example of, like, community strength. And, and it made me wonder is, like, if we as a community have not been doing enough to support our local businesses. And I I think this is a good example of, you know, a community showing up and not kind of, because again, we've we've talked about the government and the pandemic and how they're responsible for making sure everything works. But sometimes you just need this, you know, you just need the community to communicate and come together.
1: Most certainly. And I mean, I think that, in terms of us not doing enough, I think that that absolutely is, is the case in a lot of situations. I know you and I had a conversation when we were talking during our food draft, we were like, look, there are all of these great options. So quit going to like Cafe Rio over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of one of the issues as uh, is people yep. kind of just, just kind of frequently frequenting these, uh, these more fast food, uh, established chains because yeah. of, whether it's a drive through that is easily accessible or if it's just a, a better yeah. convenience. You know, yeah. Yeah.
0: But in and, and price, I think, I think that's a huge, uh, it has a lot to do with it. Like I think the the problem that small businesses are facing compared to corporations are like, they have like Chipotle has access to resources. They have a whole corporate company that backs them up, whether they're a franchise here or in California or New York City, it doesn't matter. They have this whole corporate infrastructure, and so they can get they have access to marketing and personnel. Um, and most local businesses don't have huge budgets to produce marketing material like commercials or billboards or anything like that. And it's much easier for like McDonald's to announce that they have new COVID-safe operations. They can get a team of people together to train their entire institution on how to adjust for the pandemic and then they can market their new adjustments to the world and local businesses just can't do that. And um, they they can't make those pivots as easily. And so it's almost like we need something that promotes and connects local business with citizens in a better way, because they honestly just can't compete with the onslaught of the status quo, which is all the restaurants that we go to when we can't think of anything to eat. Yeah, really we should be at restaurant Morelia <laughs> um so and i and i think also i mean not i mean to take it back to the government if the government is like really gung ho about small business you know which utah is we we like to tout that reputation um i i i don't know why they're not doing more to stimulate the local economy and i know and i and there are resources out there there are grants there's money there's tax incentives they have assistance in place but it's just like the kind of it feels kind of bare minimum you know yeah and Um, I feel like even not even just throwing money at the problem, there's things that they could do to support and promote local businesses. And again, we've talked about this before with bars, but there's some instances where Utah's lawmakers just need to get out of their own way. And bars especially have been suffering with not being able to sell like to-go services for a lot of things that they're doing. Meanwhile, I think I just read that Utah County opened up a new liquor store yeah and it's like super nice it's the nicest liquor store i've ever seen in my life dude i like the, the they had like the led lights that are like hexagonal up top on the ceiling i don't know if you saw those pictures it legitimately looks like the ray salt lake team store down the street like it's like it looks like a sports store yeah and so like <laughs> it's kind of weird but like state the the dabc the state alcohol industry is thriving right now And these little mom pop bars and drinking holes are suffering. (laughs) And it's like, this is so like, this is so kind of, it's like hypocritical in a way. It is. And they, they, they really need to just get out of their own way and let people, you know, if they want to spend a little extra money to support a local bar, let them get their booze from there. Yeah. Um, But right now they have their hands tied and not sure what to do, but, um, So if you do have, if there is a local bar around and they do something that you can pick up like food or anything like that, that would probably be really appreciated to go pick those up. Also, I think, I I mean, not to get too meta and admin here on the podcast, but I think we need to like create some kind of guide for local business. Okay. And we've talked about doing like a brand thing, uh, like pinpointing all the best Utah Utah brands and trying to drive business that way. So maybe we just need to do that. Maybe it's like, what do you want? Mexican food? Go to these places. Yeah, let's we'll do this it. Go the, yeah, we should. All right. So uh, let's try trans- to transition into some lighter stuff, or maybe equally as dramatic: uh, the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City.
1: That's right. Light,
0: and- lighter, lighter on
1: uh, lighter on the eyes, heavier on the drama.
0: I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Have you ever consumed any kind of real housewives content?
1: No, I've never consumed any real housewives content.
0: (laughs) No, neither have I. And um, I looked into the show a little bit, um, kind of just jumping on, you know, initial reactions to the show. Um, I saw that this show started in 2006. And when I was watching it, it really felt like that. It really felt like I think reality TV is stuck in this era and they need to like update it somehow. Because it, it does seem like it's like a show that was of a bygone era, even though it was being made in 2020. You know,
1: it was definitely hard to watch in terms of like I know this isn't even what you're talking about, but it was certainly really hard to watch. Just in like the age of COVID, it's like man, all these people doing all these things. Oh, I wish. dude,
0: I know. Like, yeah, it was so, it's so bizarre because they're going to surreal. parties and mm-hmm. and and. I think so if if you haven't seen the show, it takes place in winter, like it's winter during the setting of the show. So it had to have been like somewhere in late November to early January mm-hmm. when they started shooting this. And this is just the first episode. Um, so it makes me wonder if they will hit COVID times in the season.
1: Yeah, I wondered that as well. And I don't know, like I'm yeah. really not sure how they film this series because it was like you said, it was the first episode and in the first yeah. episode they had a 6 month flashback like 6 months ago like how long were they filming and why were they filming yeah. 6 months ago but they're just telling this story very strange mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's yeah it's weird and um yeah it, it does like a lot of the the drama seems like really manufactured but oh,
1: certainly certainly
0: cuz they even literally down to like someone will say something in interview and you'll hear the producer answer a follow-up question that, you know, is kind of loaded. Like yeah. they're trying to push, push an answer out of them. Um, and then part of, part of me is like, are they, are they trying, are they bad for trying to profit off of the drama of like these women? But then again, I'm like, if it's this easy to steer these people into this crazy drama, then maybe they deserve it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, My big, my big, big hang not, up,
1: yeah. my big hang up was that, There was exactly, I mean, I could be mistaken, but I was watching pretty close with a pen in hand. I think there was exactly one scene filmed in actual Salt Lake City. Yeah. It was, was, they were at like a bar. Okay. So there was two because they were at Lake Effect in one scene and then they were driving around and the assistant guy was asking if they could please go to Harmon's multiple times. Harmon's really looked good in this episode. You got rich people asking to go to there. uh,
0: Yeah. Harman's got some shout-outs. That's Uh, right. You know what I thought was hilarious? So it's funny when you watch these shows, like if you watch a reality TV show, they always have these scenes where they're just driving around talking about things. Yeah. And it's different when you live in the place that they're driving around. Yeah. Because they're driving – in that scene that you're talking about, they're in like a Porsche driving around downtown downtown Salt Lake City. The the assistant is like, let's go to Harman's. And um, while they're driving, if you notice – Whenever they cut, they're in like a different area of Salt Lake City. A completely different area. Dude, it was killing me because I'm like, where are they going? They're going north and then they're going east and like, it seems like they're just driving in random circles. And it makes me and think that they maybe Yeah.
1: And they're stitching together pieces of conversation from like definitely like five minutes driving distance away. Like she'll say one thing and she'll yeah. be up by <laughs> Harmon's and then she'll say another thing and she'll be down on like, you know, sixth south and second west. Like yeah, it's just yeah, exactly. completely like, weird. Her assistant,
0: her assistant will be like, let's go to Harmon's," and they'll be like outside Harmon City Creek. Yeah. And then it'll cut to her being like, "Well, I don't know about that, and then they're over by like the Capitol or you exactly. know by Pie hole and it's like <laughs> it's it's so weird to watch something that's being filmed in your in your home because it really kind of shows all the cracks, yeah in, in the production and stuff like that. but um also just kind of again broad reaction stuff. I kind of feel bad for all the kids in this show.
1: I feel bad for all of the kids except for the the one that clearly it wants to be in the show um. The what's oh, yeah. her, that
0: Meredith's Meredith's son?
1: son who took off a semester of college. Just yeah. that just, just, that just happens to coincide with the real housewives. Um, yeah. you know, that's, that's pretty good. I was annoyed yeah. that like speaking of, of Meredith, like she, her and her husband seem to like live here. Very, very part time. You can't find, yeah. you can't find six people that just live in Utah
0: for this. Like my, my, my girlfriend literally <laughs> said that she's like, wait, she's from Chicago and spends a lot of time in Chicago. Why is she, what's why, why is she representing Salt Lake city? And I'm like, I I guess it's like an outsider's perspective, but yeah, that, and honestly that seems to be kind of the vibe up in park city, which is like, even if you own a business here, you're kind of splitting your time. And, and, um, yeah, yeah. I I thought the same thing. I was like, like some of these people only have a foot on Utah. Exactly. That foot is mostly in Park City, and Park City is kind of in its own bubble away from Utah culture. I agree. And so it did kind of dash a few of my hopes that this was ever going to like really, I I didn't expect it to be like some interesting account of Utah culture, obviously, but I knew they would try to shoehorn some of it in. Yeah. And so um, I was interested to see that. So I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. But um, as far as the cast, let's go go down reactions on the cast, because we got to, we got to to, uh, to meet the entire cast and man, I, it was traumatizing Yeah, because <laughs> I feel real, like we
1: know some real crazy stories involved here.
0: Yeah. So let's start with Jen. What was your reaction, uh, to Jen? Who's the, Very, uh, the wife of yeah. a university of Utah coach?
1: Mm-hmm. The assist, assistant yeah. football coach. Um, the, my biggest reaction when, when meeting Jen, you meet Jen and her family during like a breakfast and yeah. All this money, all this money in this show, and Jen's family is over here putting fucking Kroger ketchup on their yeah. eggs. <laughs> you can. I know for a fact that the U has a Heinz budget, at the very yeah. least a Hunt's budget.
0: Yeah, dude. i see. This is why. This is why I thought it was important that we try to break down this show, even though we're not completely interested in this, because that's the shit that like we need to be. That that's the stuff that we break out you know, conspiracy theories about why are they eating Kroger ketchup? Everyone knows it's dog shit. Yeah. It's Heinz. not good ketchup. It's not good. <laughs> Even ketchup. hunts is dog shit.
1: <laughs> other than that. I mean, the thing that really stuck out about Jen was that like, she seems to be the most kind of dominant of the group. Like, I think that oh, she, totally. I think she dominates every single other person in this group, except for maybe Mary who well, she, she had a constant beef with because she smells like hospital, which is such a weird. Yeah, it was for, such the <laughs> amount of times they said the word hospital as if they were British, because that's how the British say hospital. They're like, oh, I need to go to hospital. Oh, I smell like hospital. Like Americans use the, we say the hospital. I yeah. was so weirded out by it the whole time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 they must have learned that at university.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I think that she, yeah, she's probably the, 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 uh, alpha lady Mm -hmm. of of the group. But, uh, um, I thought it was like, but like so much. So it's not necessarily like I am the one that leads this group. It's more like I am so far up my own ass that it doesn't matter. I don't hear what anyone else is saying down to, like, her throwing basically her dream birthday party for her, her friend. <laughs> so, like, there's that part where, all, like, because she's Tongan in mm-hmm. uh, Heritage, and all these Tongan dancers came out at this birthday party that she threw for her friend, and her friend was like, what's up with the Tongan dancers? And she's like, oh, I, yeah, that was kind of to express my heritage.
1: <laughs> I love that she, she specifically mentions that she flew in these Tongan dancers as if we don't have just, like, a beautiful population of Polynesian people in Utah.
0: Yeah. We have a huge Polynesian population here. It's like, we could find some Tongan dancers that are local support local Tongan dancers is what we're saying. Um, yeah. And the whole, the whole aunt, my aunt got her legs amputated plot line. I think that's the kind of MacGuffin for the season. It's like, what the hell (laughs) she kept saying that and it was so bizarre. She got
1: her, she had to get her legs like randomly cut off. Like it was unexpected. Yeah, You know who I really really just did not like Lisa personally? She doesn't get a ton of screen time in this episode.
0: Let's talk about Lisa.
1: When Lisa is introduced, she wakes up her seven-year-old son, and above his bed uh, there is a Mm -hmm. poster that says, Hustle, the most important verb or something like that. Yeah. And and, uh, then her other son has one that says, Grit. And like they yeah. match they match. So they obviously yeah. bought these for their kids and it was just part I was, of a set. <laughs> I was not a fan of hers whatsoever. Just no talking about the honor code while owning a tequila yeah. company is a special kind of special kind of uh, idiocy, I guess.
0: Yeah, and separate from uh like Jen's kids who didn't seem like they really cared about anything that was going on. Actually, I thought that those two and and, uh, her husband, the the coach from the University of Utah, they were actually pretty funny. I was like, give me a spinoff show of these guys just like bullshitting about stuff. Uh, I thought they were pretty funny. But like, yeah, like what it was when they introduced Lisa and she was waking up her kids that made me realize like, oh, that kid's being woken up right now by not only her, his mom, but a camera crew. Yeah, that's a that good point. That would make me so unbelievably uncomfortable. <laughs> I know. And and it seemed so forced, like, oh, in this scene, look at we have a call sheet of what we're going to film today. And the first scene we're going to shoot is you waking up your kids. And it's like, do they know about that? Like, hey, tomorrow we're going to wake you up at the camera crew. And <laughs> just so <laughs> and you just, know,
1: kids, don't freak out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I. But I agree, yeah. She's like, I thought Lisa was a great representation of this type of Utah attitude that I, that I've talked about before, which is like, they want to be LA so bad. Yeah. You know? And I think it is probably because of like, we do have like an annual brush with Hollywood every year with the Sundance film festival. And she calls herself like the queen of Sundance. Yeah. I almost killed myself when she said that. Yeah, I know. And not only that, but it's like, if you've actually, so like I've, I've gone to Sundance with like radio stations and stuff to do coverage. And my impression of like actors and filmmakers that we've interviewed and stuff at Sundance is that none of them really want to party because they're all working. Yeah. And that a lot of the times, and this is actually the thing that I really hate about Sundance, which is like the the gawky tourist aspect of it, where it's like we're hunting for celebrities. Um, and this is totally that that type of woman who's like, yeah. I get... I I can get you into all the parties, but you connect with her and she gets you into a party and it's just like an overpriced thing. And there's no celebrities there. It's like full of just Utah tourists just being like, we're at, we're at Sundance. Exactly. Um, Getting pictures for the gram. And this is what I mean by traumatizing because more than, you know, any type of reality TV show that I've seen, I'm like these characters, I know, I know an example of this. Mm -hmm. Like I know this woman, I don't know this exact woman, but I know a woman just like her. Um, that's what how actually you, that's how what I was oh going to no, say. Yeah. I
1: actually, that's how I felt about Whitney was like I was like, oh, this, Whitney seems the most comfortable and familiar to me as a Utah. Yeah. like she seems like a few different people that I know, like, yeah, and I find that funny. Also, I just could not stop laughing. And I don't want to be rude. The man clearly yeah. has some issues. Her dad has like jet black Dude, hair that guy. looking like fucking Robert Smith. He's <laughs> about to, is about to sing like some <laughs> Friday. I'm in love to him.
0: <laughs> I remember when that scene where they're like having the wedding, first of all, the, the wedding on like a winter browned lawn at daybreak. Yeah. yeah. Was like triggering. I yeah. was like, this is so this, this is to me is the most Utah thing ever. Like having that, that backyard, Uh, a ceremony. But yeah, during that scene, when it cuts to her dad, my first thought was like, Oh, is that the guitar player for the wedding band? Yeah. And then it's like Whitney's dad. And I'm like, that's her dad. I had to rewind it. He looks younger than her husband. Yeah. (laughs) I had to
1: rewind it to make sure that I read that, that title. Right. I was like, Oh, that must've said something else. And then I rewound it. I was like, Nope, that says dad. I'm so confused.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, he he kind of had like this Tommy Lee vibe, and I don't know if you caught this, but like, there's a scene where they're like partying inside her house, and she's swinging around on a strip pole, and her dad is just loving it. Like, oh, I did not notice like, this. He's like clapping, and he's like, "Yeah," he's like dancing, and I'm like, "This is so bizarre." I'm like, "This like, no one's uncomfortable there." No, <laughs> a- if I went to a party, I went to a wedding, and the bride was swinging around, and the dad was like into it, like I would be so uncomfortable. <laughs> You'd have
1: some questions, no doubt, no doubt.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um so let's move on to uh let me see where are we. We just talked about Whitney. Uh
1: Meredith. Yeah, Meredith, the Chicagoan that we discussed before. The Chicagoan. I hope that yeah. she I hope that she's a Bears fan so that we can at least share and I know, <laughs> like at least I know that her life isn't perfect that way, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess, I guess her life isn't perfect because her husband isn't home on her birthday and her friend threw herself a birthday party instead of her, but hey, for her, uh, <laughs> yeah, dude. but Hey, I was so annoyed when they went on their hike, their, their hike. Uh, yeah. And they like, it looked like they just pulled over to the side of the road and we like, let's just walk on that Hill for a second. No one will know the difference. No one, knows yeah. what, no one knows what hiking is, and they find, like, yeah. a, clearly a dog's footprint. I know,
0: dude. <laughs> That's what I was just about to say.
1: <laughs> they find a fucking dog's footprint in their snow, and they're like, oh, my God, what is this giant animal print? Yeah. It's like, I uh, don't know, maybe, like, a fucking Newfoundland.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think they're, that the producers are going to try to hammer home this type of culture with the outdoors and stuff like that, which is why they're probably hiking and stuff. But then you get people who never go outside. Yeah. Doing outdoorsy stuff, and yeah, when they were like, "Oh, look! It' there's an animal track," and then like the dad like puts his hand over it, and his hand is way bigger than the animal track, and it literally looks like a dog's paw print. Yeah, next to like many human footprints. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like, yeah, like they're 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 a little delusional, but also when I saw that scene, and then like her husband leaves for like business, I was like. There's no way this dude is not cheating on her. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since like the episode like their segment ends with him. He's like, ah, I'm not having a lot of luck in the bedroom. The old bedroom yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> and he's you're just like putting oh, it shit. all
1: out there, making everything yeah.
0: awkward. Yeah, he's like, Maybe maybe this program will get me laid. Um <sighs> I maybe I think I think we're gonna find that out. I think he's probably cheating on her. <laughs> uh so Mary, she's I at think- the top of my list for like most likely to stab someone to death on the show.
1: I think she's at the top of my list for the star of the show as well, though. Not necessarily for good reasons, but (laughs) just in terms of like the juicy storyline of marrying your own step grandpa, because your, because your grandma put it in her will is crazy.
0: And that's the thing too. is like, there's something in her eyes that kind of worries me. Like (laughs) she's like, always like wide-eyed and she looks yeah. like she's like going to kill everyone that says anything about her Truly. and i'm like that's probably just like like a decade of having to defend marrying your own step-grandfather oh that's true that's a good point like just like that's driven her crazy she's probably <laughs> she just always yeah she's probably the head of a cult
1: like that's i mean i don't want to put down her uh what is it it's a Episcopalian, like no it's a yeah. baby, I don't know what it is Pentecostal its Pentecostal. Pentecostal uh I don't want to <laughs> put down her church or their or or their uh congregants but yeah I don't know man I don't know if you're marrying your step out there yeah if you're marrying your step grandpa also this is the one who hates the smell of hospital uh and it's and she kept saying it brought me to a really dark place like over and over again and i thought oh this is probably related to her grandma who died but no it's Mm -hmm. just related to when she was trying to get the odor glands removed from her armpits and like i guess she died couple of times on the table, which sucks, but what What the the fuck?
0: Yeah. It's yeah.
1: I was so confused. So confused. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So bizarre. I, I, I bet that's just a cover up. I bet she like, it it like just brings her back to the time that she almost got caught stabbing her Uber driver to death. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's my guess. We're going to find out about that, but like Dude, there's, it's, and it hasn't happened yet, but something is going to push this woman over the edge. Maybe she's not going to stab someone, but like, she's going to feel like she's going to lose her shit. And I'm excited for it personally. Um, so Heather, again, I don't, I'm not trying to like shit on these women. I'm trying to be as open as possible. I'm going to roll my eyes through this whole fucking show. But every time I look at her, I can't stop thinking about Mickey Rourke. Oh man. <laughs> That's like I know. Oh, oh man. But, <laughs> I was just like, I, I couldn't stop thinking about Mickey Rourke. <laughs> and, like, I had just watched Iron Man 2, like, I was, too, like probably a couple weeks ago.
1: <laughs> I was about to feel bad for saying that she had a small house. Like, but you're, but you're, <laughs> you're coming in with a
0: flamethrower. <laughs> hey, who says Mickey Rourke's not a handsome guy? That's fair. Um, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm, but it's, there's there's an obsession with, and I'm sure this is a through line with all the Real Housewives shows but like there's kind of this obsession with plastic surgery and facial work and stuff like that yeah I wouldn't be surprised if Heather looked a little different at some point in her Mm -hmm. life you know (laughs) no totally um and not that like getting a facial or having like a skin regimen is like bad or anything I'm talking about like putting stuff into your face surgically (laughs) is kind of uh, yeah I don't know I'm not trying to shame anyone this isn't that's not what we're trying to do here, but the Holy
1: Hive Goddamn. is, uh, is an open-minded podcast. Uh, yeah, but we also just got to call it how we see it. And Jordan saw the wrestler. So
0: yeah, dude, I'm sorry. I just like, <laughs> that's what I kept thinking. I was just like, she kind of looks like Mickey Rort. I just um, love
1: that. She called, she like mentions multiple times that she's like a pioneer Mormon, which, yeah, which hold on really quick. Just a quick aside. The LDS church, probably hates this fucking show more than anything that has ever come out. Like (laughs) there was that prop eight movie that came out back in like 2008. They probably hate this more because a, they're not following the new guidelines of like calling the church, the church or LDS church or LDS member. They're just calling everyone Mormon. Yeah. Within the first 10 minutes, uh, Jen Shaw brings up the fact that her husband wouldn't, convert to Mormonism cause he wouldn't have been allowed to accept the priesthood like even 15 years ago at mm-hmm. that, at that time. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, that's not a good look for the Mormonism. And then no. they got, I don't, is there even a true Mormon on the show? I guess with no, uh, I guess Lisa says that she is a through and through Mormon, but yeah. she, she owns a tequila company. I mean, I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, what was the other thing that uh, Lisa said? Oh, yeah, that she's – her heritage is Jewish. Yeah. But her and her husband converted to Mormonism. Yeah. And, um, and also her tequila company I thought it was so funny because <laughs> she just like – she she was naming off the names, but and they're like kind of these like Spanish-adjacent names, but she was saying them in the widest – she was like Cui Dad. Yeah. She's like Cui Queed, Dad Tequila. <laughs> and I'm like, man – talk about appropriation man yeah. <laughs> like that's that was rough but uh yeah i yeah uh, it, and they're talking about the the mormon culture a lot and um it it does seem like that's kind of like the theme of this whole show is like and and maybe the the producers are genius because it's like the whole thing is about this veneer of mm-hmm. classiness and perfection and that underneath it People are just as broken as, you know, flawed as everyone else, which newsflash, we're all humans. We all suck. But, like, they they found a unique take on this whole thing, which is, like, the you know, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills are after the same type of perfection, but their motivations are different. Yeah. And when your motivation is religion, the conversation and the, the actions of people do, do get a lot more interesting. But I agree. Like, people that are LDS, I mean – not, not like, open-minded, like, LDS people, like, which I think are, like, most people probably watch this show and just kind of laugh with us and, and roll their eyes at everything that's going on. But, yeah, like, people who really, really take shit in the institution seriously must hate this show. Yeah. And they even talk about, like, you know, I think, I think, I think it was Heather who said, like, at every party, there's a Mormon who doesn't drink, but they always sneak off to the corner and, like, chug a cocktail, pretend like they're not doing anything. And it's like I've I've known people like that, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like, man, they're really calling it out. So that's really interesting. Um, So uh, I wanted to. I was what I was interested is if the show was going to kind of represent Utah's culture in a way. I think from this first episode, we found that it's probably not going to represent the culture the way that we view it. It's very, again, Park City, which is kind of this bubble.
1: Um, and just shoehorning in, they're just shoehorning in shots of the temple at every single break, you know, like any segue from scene to scene has a shot of the temple. And Mm -hmm. it's like, none of this is happening anywhere close to here. And also none of the ideals are really lining up here either. So like, it's really just Mm -hmm. cause that is the landmark.
0: Yeah. And I do think the producers kind of guide the activities that they're taking part in and they are going to try to shoehorn the kind of outdoor culture of Utah, which I don't think is going to go over well. So I'm really excited to see what happens when you know yeah. they go skiing or something. Um any any predictions for the season?
1: I think that there will be two fights, fist fights.
0: Two fist fights. One
1: will be between Heather and Lisa because of their weird beef about not remembering each other. Mm-hmm. Um that was one of the funnier parts of the episode is when like Heather walks up and Lisa kind of blows her off and then they do like an instant yeah. replay as if it was like a, a, a touchdown in a football game and they like slow it down really slow. And it's like, Oh my
0: God, she just blew me off. And uh, it really wasn't that bad either
1: no it's it just really like a, hey, hey you go,
0: okay yes yeah. yeah uh <laughs> it's like how i say think... hi to everyone at work
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's like the yeah. and i think they're gonna go to swig the gang is gonna go to swig and have some dirty mm-hmm. diet cokes those yeah, are my so predictions I think, I think
0: i think we're gonna get swig at some point i think that's a good like you said we got crumble yeah in this crumble. episode yeah crumble made that's what I, I i'm really excited for uh um for local businesses to get some some large p- product placement in an actual yeah. show. Again, Me not too. that it helps them because most people watching this aren't in Utah. But uh I, I, I like when, you know, oh shit, there's the pie hole. Yeah. Which is funny because in the cut before that they were at the University of Utah. So um that'll <laughs> be scene, interesting the way it plays out. Yeah.
1: That whole scene yeah. where uh, they're talking about Harmons was uh where where you just the, that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's pointing
0: at the TV, like, hey, <laughs> Yeah, I, I know Harmons. <laughs> yeah, that's me every time they mention a local business. Yeah, my predictions. Meredith gets cheated on, but she doesn't care because all she wants to do is spend money and you know run her jewelry store and hang out with her son, so it's not going to matter. Uh, and then Mary stabs Jen and holds up a Nordstrom. Those are my predictions. Wow, there um, you go. Also, I created some drinking game rules for the next episode. All right. Um, okay, here they are. Sip, every time you see the temple. I say sip because... Oh, yeah it is literally every b-roll bumper between scenes yeah there's a shot of a temple the holy hive show is <laughs> not is looking
1: to get blamed for uh, any, alcohol, any poisoning. alcohol poisoning
0: yeah um drink every time there's an inner conflict with morals uh drink every time a husband tries to escape a conversation okay that was like half <laughs> yeah. she'll like bring up something and and he'll be like uh what uh, uh, what yeah whatever okay i got to go um, drink every time a child looks miserable.
1: You're going to get drunk in this game.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's good. Yeah, that's what, that's the point. Uh, drink whenever a place besides Salt Lake City is mentioned. Actually, let me change that. Drink whenever a place besides any place in Utah is mentioned. That's <laughs> because fair. Because that's, that's, it's it's a lot. It's this like, again, this obsession with like things outside of Utah. It's like, yeah. we're here but like, I'm a New York city gal. Yeah. You know? I don't wear fancy and that dresses. Does, I'm from New York. It's yeah. Just, and it does, it does just, feel like that's kind of a Utah thing. It's like, Oh, I got connects down in LA or yeah. I like, like Utahns are very obsessed with things outside of Utah. Um, it's the, uh, it's the then Britta
1: Perry. I lived in New York.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then, uh, this is just a kind of a celebratory thing, but drink anytime that you see a local business like Crumble, or Swig, or yeah. Armins, or any locally owned business. Let's just celebrate that they're getting a little airtime. So those are my <laughs> drinking games. Maybe we'll post that. We'll have to make an official drinking game for the yeah. uh, housewives. That'll be way fun. Uh, uh so really quick, a just quick, just quick, 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 quick discussion. So I wanted to talk about some of these stereotypes because obviously the production company is like leaning into these different things. Mm-hmm. Um. Like literally, the description for the first episode was like Utah isn't just all religion and mountains, but then you watch the episode and it's like they're shoehorning religion and mountains into everything. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it kind of kind of brought up this in, this question about uh, reputation, Utah's reputation to the outside world. Yes, um, you know between the Mormonism and the mountain sports and the, I guess the business enterprises. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting to look at some of the Utah stereotypes and discuss what they mean and whether they really hold any weight. And I think you did a good job of kind of outlining a bunch of those stereotypes. So let's kind of just go down the list. So the first one, the LDS church practically runs the government.
1: Yeah, that's true in a lot of ways. You know, they definitely, yeah. they definitely have a, a pretty big, a pretty big influence here, but in, I, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily different from how Other states interact with religion, you know. For sure. There are there are very, very heavy Catholic states, very, very heavy Protestant states, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I mean it sucks, but
0: not not to bring it to like a weird dark place, but I was recently watching Spotlight. It's like a movie that I've become kind of obsessed with lately. I love I love a work workplace drama. Yeah. Um but like the whole point, well, like the whole reason it was so hard for those reporters to break that story on the Catholic church was because everyone was protecting the Catholic church. Yeah. One hundred percent community thing. So, yeah, I agree. There is this kind of influence where it's like, you know, they don't run. They don't pull the strings, but they influence the strings, you know, very and, heavily. And, yeah. Yeah. And then a lot of the people that run are more so they bring obviously those traditions and ideals into the office. Mm-hmm. Um, Utah, has some of the greatest nature on earth.
1: I think that that's true. Agree. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm definitely biased, but you, it's just, you're really hard pressed to find a, a place where you have mountains, lakes, hoodoos, mm-hmm. like red rocks, all within like three hours from each other. You can get snow, you can get desert, you can get any number of things. So, I mean, just have yeah. a lot of unique stuff to offer.
0: Yeah, I remember. Uh, so when I was working for X ninety six on their promotions team, and uh, I was driving a band around that had come, come to play, they were like going to Gray Whale, so we gave them a ride to Gray Whale. And when I was driving out there, it was their first time in Utah. It was like kind of a younger, up and coming band, and they were we were driving, and they would go, "Wow, the mountains are just right there." And I'm like, <laughs> and I didn't ever, like I didn't think about that, but you don't really notice like when you go to other states, like if you go to like the Middle America and it's flat. Mm-hmm. how jarring it actually is yeah. to like have a tower, you know? So I think that's kind of, uh, uh, like even just the, like, not only the, the big things like Zion national park and all that stuff, but like just the, the, the local area, like it's yeah. beautiful. And not only that, but I think there's, we, we're, we don't get enough credit for urban cleanliness. Like our city's pretty fucking clean. Mm. Um, so yeah, I agree with that. Uh, polygamy.
1: Uh, I just don't in care any, in any conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anytime, so, anytime I go to, anytime I'm in another state or I'm, you know, talking to people from out of state and they bring up polygamy, I just get really kind of annoyed, you know?
0: Yeah. It's not, it's, it has it's nothing. Yeah.
1: It's not prominent.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's not. And yeah, every time like we have like polygamy punch, especially down in like St. George, where there's kind of a lot more FLDS members, it's lit. It's not that much. It's like every now and then but it's like such a fringe culture that you know it's almost like scientology like yeah like people talk about scientology and how dangerous they are it's like do you really know any scientologists you know true. They, is it, or is it just a really super fringe thing so yeah i agree it's it's a honestly i think polygamy could be coming back you know polyamory is becoming like a it's very kind true. of a thing that gets brought up and uh you know if if who cares about the marriage? Who cares about officiating the things, you know, if everyone's consensual and there's no children or anything weird involved, because that was a big problem with the FLDS not to get into that whole nutshell, but, um, is yeah. If everything's cool, like, yeah, whatever do you want, but it's not like a thing here. Like people say it is, um, the grid system.
1: Yeah. A lot of people complain about how hard it is to navigate. And I just really call into question their ability to count. Yeah. So I,
0: I, hate I hate when people complain about the grid system Yeah, because there's like, I've, I've, pr- I've always been proud of the fact that you could give me an address in like the Salt Lake Valley or yeah, even up like North in, in like Weber County, Davis County, wherever, give me an address. I can tell you where it's at just on the, based on the address. Exactly. You know, and it's easy. Yeah. You just count. And um, yeah, I say protect the grid system at all costs. 100%. I, I hate windy roads. I hate I mean, we can still name things. We could still name, like Ninth South is Harvey Harvey Milk Boulevard. 3rd West is John Stockton Boulevard. Like, that's fine, but we still need that number. You know, it needs to fall in line. Um, So, yeah, big fan of the grid system. And then uh, Utah has the weakest beer in the country.
1: This one kind of just annoys me. More than anything, like, I mean, yes, I get it. Our beer has is a bit watered down compared to a lot of other places. I mean, I know that now we're at least bumped up to the national low. We're not the lowest in the country, but. I personally have never been the one to cry that my beer is one point five percent less than an out of state beer. I mean it's just not yeah. that big of a deal to me. I'll take two chugs, take two little chugs of a of another beer and I'll be just as drunk as I would have been.
0: Yeah, it's such a such a minute like difference. And honestly, <clears throat> it's not the strength of the alcohol that really concerns me, it's the access to the alcohol that concerns yeah. me. Yeah. So it's like and 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 it's, it's again like I think I think people have this same kind of attitude with weed where it's like I only smoke top shelf weed, you know, the strongest stuff. I'm like, why, why do you want yeah. like to have a panic attack just from smelling it? Like, I don't get that. Like, I want to take my time and relax. And, uh, yeah, but the same thing with the alcohol, it's like, I, and I remember, I mean, like the, the first weekend we went to Fisher after they bumped up the alcohol percentage, mm-hmm. like we were like, I can feel it. <laughs> like yeah. I can definitely tell. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, I think that's a, that's a, a silly stereotype as well. So just real quick, what 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 are some stereotypes that you have about Utah personally that you that that either you disagree with or actually think are good or want to lean into as far as Utah culture?
1: I think that there's that stereotype that people are too nice. Um, mm-hmm. Like everyone's pretty much just cosplaying as a Chick Fil A employee. But, yeah, <laughs> and I think that there yeah. is some truth to that, but it's not real nice. It's just people being afraid of confrontation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. That's it. That's, def- that's like, that's a great way of putting it is like, it's not, it's, it's the, uh, the fear of offending. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like we always have to be on good terms and stuff like that, which again, I think leaks into like making it difficult to have tough conversations that need to be had Yeah. in Utah. And hopefully that's what we can do here because our media is kind of definitely like that too, where it's like, they, they, they want to take the most, pardon the pun, missionary position <laughs> style of reporting. And it's just like, it's like, guys, we can have hard conversations. We could talk about things. It's fine. Um, but, yeah, that d- definitely comes from kind of the culture. But, yeah, like the also the outdoorsy culture, I think, kind of gets focused on skiing a little too much in, like, winter mm-hmm. sports. And, yeah, like we have the greatest snow on earth. That's, that's great. But, like, for summer sports, like I think we're just as good. And I honestly think that we could have just as good a chance of hosting the Summer Olympics here than the Winter Olympics. Um, but – The, yeah, the, the outdoorsy culture, I think is kind of like one of those stereotypes that you kind of get when you live here. Like when you, you don't think about it when you're like thinking of Utah outside, but when you get here, you're like, why does everyone drive a Subaru? Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's because there's like a huge outdoor culture here. So that's something that I think Utah needs more of. It's like more of that outdoor reputation. I agree. All right. Well, uh, I don't know if we're gonna do ever do a full breakdown like this. We're we're st- we're still trying to think of different ways to break down Real Housewives of Salt Lake City because it is very interesting. And mm-hmm. uh, even though I turned it on, I was like, "This is garbage ass TV." I'm like. I still feel like I need to watch this, Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so we're going to maybe try to figure out a different way to kind of digest some of those reactions and stuff like that. So we're not doing every episode, you know, doing a real housewives recap every week. Um, we just wanted to touch down because of the season premiere, but that's airing on Wednesdays. If you want to check it out. Um, and uh, until then we are, uh, we're still working on the website. We're hoping to have it have a, a soft launch here in a couple weeks until then you can find our stuff on Twitter at Holy Hive Utah and on Instagram at Holy Hive Utah and at Holy Hive Utah on YouTube. So go check out all our stuff there and give us a follow. Um, anything else, Dan? Uh try to be
1: careful when you when you're interacting with people, I guess. You know? Yeah. Be don't safe. give don't give COVID to people. Don't get don't COVID, COVID yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Be and be kind to each other. Yeah. If 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 you have a difference of opinion and someone's trying to be cautious, just be kind. Just be nice. But also, like, take care of yourself and keep your distance and support local business. Don't go to Chipotle. Go to, fuck, um, I forgot the name of the, the business already. Morelia's. But I, I got to go Chip Morelia's. Go to Morelia, uh, Restaurant Morelia in Murray, just off of uh, 60, 60th South, I think. That's right. Um, but yeah, check them out. We're going to uh, look into some. to to, to like a local business guide that we can throw together and put up. But um, anyway, thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll see you next week.